Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We hope you enjoy our journey through the book of Acts, exploring the many powerful actions of Jesus Christ as he continues to move and teach us through his apostles by his Holy Spirit, empowering the explosion of the church to expand from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, which is you and me right here and right now, where we move from spectators to participants and join with Paul in preaching the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's now join Pastor Jordan Moody in our new series, Acts, The Movement Begins. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. Today we're going to be looking at Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 46. Uh, We're going to be looking at Mary's song, and that's what we did here in Rejoice. This uh, kind of week one of the Advent devotional was looking at Mary's song in the Magnificat, and next week we'll be looking at Zachariah's song. And we're going to be looking at several different songs or prayers, hymns of joy and rejoicing uh, over the next four weeks, three or four weeks. So let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 46. This is with Mary and Elizabeth. Mary has visited Elizabeth. Elizabeth has John the Baptist in her womb, and Mary is filled with Jesus at this time, and they're both together, and they're... They're, they're chatting about all the things that are about to come, and then she sings this song. There's this song of praise, an early church hymn uh, that was no doubt sung throughout the early church, and we see in verse 46, it says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted the humble, those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever, and Mary remained with her about three months and return to her home. Let us pray. Father, we come before you today, already having our hearts filled with this season of peace, this peace on earth that so much of us, so many of us long for. Peace on earth. Sometimes, God, we just want peace in our own hearts, in our own families, in our own communities, in our own nation. God, I pray that you, the Prince of Peace, would be with us in this moment and in this season we would be reminded of your greatness and your mighty arm and your power. God, as we're going to be looking at today, your mindfulness and your mercy. Remind us of these things today. Encourage these people who have come out today to hear your word, to gather as your body today, who come together and express the visible church to the world today in a gathered community I thank you, Lord, for them, for those who are homesick, those who are struggling with the seasonal sickness and all that's going around. Lord, we just pray you'd be with them, encourage their hearts that even at home, even when they're taking care of sick kids or whatever it might be or or cannot be here today, Lord, that you'd be with them. You'd remind them, God, that your spirit is with us here in this place and with them as well. God, we're grateful to be here. We're grateful to sing your praises. We're grateful to rejoice together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this Christmas season, as I talk with many of you, so many people who have been saying that they love Christmas time, as we do. We love the Christmas. We love the Christmas lights, the Christmas programs, and in particular for me, the Christmas music, as it is, right? Uh, For some of us, we've been playing Christmas music. I don't know. Some of you, it's like a rule, right? It's after Thanksgiving, or perhaps, if you're like me, it's right after Halloween, right? The day after, perhaps, and it's Christmas music full-blown. Wherever you go on the radio or whatever it might be, uh, in the malls, uh, you'll hear a whole bunch of Christmas music. 
And this is a little bit of what our theme is going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at different songs, different Christmas songs uh, in, in the scripture. Mary's song, Zachariah's song, we're going to be looking at the angels' song, really, and that they sang, and Simeon's prophecy and song as well. And, and that's really going to be a lot of what we're going to be focusing on, but I wanted to kind of put a little bit of a contrast for us to start, have a little bit of fun. Is that okay? Uh, we're going to look at a few of the famous Christmas songs, uh, really the ones that you are, they're so familiar it's going to be hard for me to simply read their title without singing it. You know what I mean? Uh, some of the Christmas songs that you hear really, in some ways, that are, are really more just, as it's popular to say today, the holiday songs, you know? Uh, what were the top 10 or top 15 holiday songs that we hear all the time, every single year, and if we're being really honest, have nothing to do with Christmas at all? And so one of the songs that we think of, some of the top 15, I looked them up, was the classic Bobby Helms, Jingle Bell Rock, right? Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, okay, I can't do that every song. Judy Garland's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, right? Oh boy, keep moving. Uh, Andy Williams, It's the Most Wonderful Time. See, look at you, you're all just starting to sing, I told you. Little Elvis Presley, you know, Blue Christmas, I'm not going to try that. Um, Bruce Springsteen, probably one of the most annoying of all time because it repeats and repeats and then you're like, it's not going to repeat again and it repeats again. Santa Claus is coming to town, right? Santa Claus is coming to town, okay? The, uh, the, how about the um, Christmas time is here? This one's one of my favorites because it's uh, the classic like Charlie Brown, right? The peanuts, you know what I'm saying? We love that uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, Christmas time is here. And we had to throw this one in. It is the top 10, I believe. It's Feliz Navidad. Right? Yes, right there. Okay, I knew. I looked right over there to you guys, some of our Spanish-speaking section. Right? Very diverse here. That's our goal. Prosperos año y felicidad. Right? Okay. Um, I got a little bit of that in me. All right, here we go. Um, the next is a classic rocking around the Christmas tree, right? Bing Crosby's, the most classic, right? The White Christmas, some of you are already saying that. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, right? Um, last Christmas, there's more, and really now we're getting to the top two or three, depending on where you put them. And the classic Christmas song with the, 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 the classic Nat King Cole chestnuts roasting on an open fire, right? I didn't know you're going to give all these solos here today. Jack Frost nipping at your nose, right? And then the most famous and probably the most polarizing song of all. You know what I'm saying. Some of you are already guessing it. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You if I hear that one more time. I can't. No, some people are singing it. This is church. We're not doing that, Okay. The whole point of bringing that up is within us and in our very being, I name, I just literally read a title of a song and you can immediately, boom, sing it, right? It's like how we're wired and made. It's this time. It's Christmas time. And the one I didn't mention, but it was in the top 15, was Stevie Wonder's What Christmas Means to Me, right? And I've, I always find that. The other day I was listening to I heard it on the radio, What Christmas Means to Me. It was written in 1967 for some of you. And uh, candles burning low. This is what Christmas time means to Stevie Wonder. Candles burning low, lots of mistletoe, lots of snow and ice. Yeah, probably, right? Uh, everywhere we go, choirs singing carols right outside my door. All these things and more, all these things and more. That's what Christmas means to me, my love, right? That's, that's the, the, the chorus that repeats and repeats in that song. Wonderful song. Actually, most of those songs I love and I sing all the time. But the point I'm making to you today is so many of those songs, like I said, have almost nothing to do with the original point of Christmas, right? It's just like holiday. It's just a time of year that comes every year. And we might think to ourselves, why in the world is it that we call this Christmas? And what is Christmas all about? And those songs, there's nothing wrong with them. You can sing those songs all you want. But I prefer a lot of the songs we sing here at church, a lot of the songs we're going to be singing at our candlelight service, the classic carols that we'll be singing together on Christmas Eve night. The song we're going to close the service, I'm already bringing it out. It's one of the favorites around here among my kids as well, is Mary's Boy Child. While shepherds watched their flocks by night, they, they saw a bright new shining star. 
and heard a choir from heaven sing, and music came from afar. Hark now, hear the angels sing, new king born today, and man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. I love that line. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. What a line. The classic, oh holy night, and it builds to a climax where in the musical score, we're, we are almost finding ourselves emotionally, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices, a sense of God's majesty and might and holiness before us that we cannot help but fall on our knees like the shepherds did. Oh, classic, oh, come, let us adore him, right? Just simply look to God, adore him. Just in Christmas time, look to him, praise him, adore his name. Joy to the world. That's a song for today. Rejoice, as we were thinking about for these next couple of weeks. Rejoice. Joy to the world. There is great joy to all. O come, O come, Emmanuel, the God with us. And ransom captive Israel. Ransom us as well. Pay, help, save us. And then one of the best lines, perhaps in any Christmas carol, O little town of Bethlehem. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Abide with us, Lord Emmanuel. And the carol that I love in my heart, because I can tend to be a little melancholy in the bleak midwinter, right? Because that's how it feels like around here a lot, does it not? In the bleak midwinter, just a stable place sufficed. The Lord God incarnate made flesh, Jesus Christ. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I I were a shepherd, I, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I can give him my heart. And then one of the best as well, I mean, so many of these are so good. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong, is it not, right? And it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. What a line of faith, of courage, Not a denial of the darkness and the hate and the bleak midwinterness, but a perseverance and faith that pierces through all of that darkness because for on a people like us who have sat in darkness, a light has dawned, a light has shone. The light of the world has come. So today we look at a song, a hymn, a prayer, so many of these things combined into one, Mary's song of praise. We're going to be examining this song today, but I wanted to, before we jump into it, just seek to try to get us to think it through just briefly in its, in its place in history, in so much of what Mary represents for the church. But in particular, Mary is almost this kind of figure that symbolizes uh, in the Old Testament the person of Hannah. Familiar with Hannah in uh, uh, 1 Samuel? She's barren and cannot bear a child, and there's this uh, situation. She goes to the temple and prays to God that she would have a child, and God blesses her with the boy Samuel, who becomes a priest and judge, who then ushers in the person of David, and in all that his promise is to be fulfilled. And really, Hannah prays and sings this glorious song in First Samuel, and in First Samuel chapter 2, Hannah's prayer and song really in so many ways mirrors in like manner and even similar language to Mary's song and prayer in the New Testament. Hannah prays things like, my heart exalts or worships or magnifies in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice, she says, I rejoice 
in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is no God beside you. She says, those who were hungry have ceased to hunger now. The barren have now borne seven, Hannah says. The Lord kills, he brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, he raises up. And this is the theme. There's a theme of reversals that goes on here in Hannah's prayer and in Mary's. The Lord makes poor, yet he also makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap and makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For not by might shall man prevail, but he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of the anointed. These are some of the highlights from Hannah's prayer that we see reflected in Mary's amazing theological, uh, this deep song that she sings, this theme of reversals. Mary prays things like the, hair, the hungry will be filled. Those who think they're rich, they're going to be left with nothing. As Jesus puts it, those who think they are first will actually be last, and those who are last will actually be first. There's a reversal here that is so deep. Christopher Ashe gives us some insight to this. He says the central theme is this of Mary's prayer. In the gospel of Mary's son, God brings some down and raises others up. Mary sings with astonishment, first of how God had blessed her, little old Mary, in her humble estate. I am a nobody, she sings. I deserve nothing. Yet God has raised me up and blessed me with his son, with this son. For the rest of human history, people will remember how God has blessed me. And then she goes on that God will do for every man and woman who fears him the same of what he has done for me. Love that line, for he has done mighty things and great things for me. And from generations, people will call me blessed. But his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, Mary's generation and to our generation today. It's the same God and the same message that we hear and receive today. And so we... We do stand with Mary, though, because we remind ourselves of her humble estate, that when we humble ourselves and say, who am I to receive this great message? Who are you to receive the divine power of God to come upon your life for you to receive this word, to be understood and receive that into your heart today, to know and believe that the word has become flesh? An incredible truth that's been passed down from generation to generation. And so, with that introduction, we look in really this first point of God blessing Mary. And, and it's a story we're all well known with. We, we know this story, but it's helpful to look back. If you have a Bible in front of you, you can kind of just look back through in Luke chapter 1. But in Luke chapter 1, he, he speaks as Gabriel visits Mary in verse 28. He says, greetings, O favored one, he calls her. The favored, like blessed one of God. The Lord is with you, Gabriel says to Mary. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. What an extraordinary. You have found the grace of God to be upon you today. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. The name means Lord salvation. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary says, says to the angel, like, I'm not doubting you, but like, how is this going to be since I am a virgin? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, and you will be, uh, he will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her mary says that several different times that i am nothing but a servant of the lord her humility is so clear and then she goes and visits elizabeth in the house of zechariah she greeted elizabeth and when elizabeth heard the greeting of mary that's verse 41 the baby leaped from her womb 
uh, in her womb of Elizabeth. This is John the Baptist. For Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed in a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me, the mother of my Lord should come to me? Notice that phrase. Elizabeth knows right away that Mary, the mother of my Lord, should come to me. Incredible. For behold, when the sound of the greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there should be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her in the Lord. And then right after that, we get this song, this, this song of praise. God blesses Mary here. What a, what a Cinderella story. <laughs> Some of you are probably familiar with that term. We use it around uh, sports, often uh, in March Madness, basketball season, the Cinderella team. We're a team who has no business making it through, seems to outperform the expectations that are put on them. They seem to play a whole lot better than anyone expected them to be. They were in some ways a nobody and have been now made a somebody. Mary is in some ways, in her own words, humble, her humble, poor estate. She, like a nobody that God calls out of nowhere and makes her a somebody and puts her on center stage. An incredible, an incredible blessing that we see the heart of God in this. It can be difficult to comprehend. As you just think and conceive and try to just think through the magnitude, the, the, the aspect of the virgin birth, the aspect of, of God, and the, the God most high being made flesh and, and being birthed on this earth, in, in, in some ways, in Protestant faith would teach that, that in really just in regular birth, that Jesus, when he was born, would have cried, would have felt pain. Mary would have gone through every normal situation in so many ways. It was almost so normal. It almost seems to be an affront to us. Like, it can't be right. God would just be born of a woman, uh, just born in a stable or or a guest room where they would have kept animals in that time. Like, that's the way that the king of kings would come to earth? Like, we know that, but it's still, when we consider it and think through it, It's incredible, difficult to comprehend. It's the story of God's amazing grace and his mercy to mankind. God initiates his loving kindness and compassion upon Mary. He blesses her with his grace, fills her with his spirit, and by giving her the unspeakable gift of being the mother of the Messiah of Jesus Christ, the true eternal salvation for both Mary and for all of mankind, the son that you will soon deliver will also deliver you, as the song says. And then just to remind ourselves of, yes, Mary being a key figure in this story, but for her courageous faith, like she is going through some scary things at this time, let alone for remembering back, or maybe perhaps you're there right now, of, of having your first child in general, all the, the unknowns that comes into that situation. And then for all of the unknowns and obviously the public reproach that would have been put upon her in that culture for this unique thing and situation that's gone on, Joseph being faithful does not divorce her and get rid of her, but rather through the angel he keeps and he stays and he is there faithful all to the end. No doubt he had his own questions as well. But to remind ourselves of this extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit, what we would say is the virgin birth that comes upon it. Virgin birth has everything to do with Jesus' deity and his humanity, sometimes maybe undervalued in our culture today where we just put it aside and don't really think about the importance of it. And throughout church history, this has been a point of argument, and even modern church history today, a point of argument of what that actually means But the fact is that Jesus, it's very important in this hypostatic union that he would be 100% God and 100% man. He is not tainted by being born of the seed of mankind through the sin nature of Joseph. The Apostles' Creed, which many of us memorize and would say is is our crucial central belief that if we are to disagree on many things as we do as a church this size, we would find ourselves in agreement in what we find here at Hope Fellowship Church, the agreement of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and his only son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what does it say? Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Crucial. Jesus has always existed. He did not just come into existence out of nothing on this earth when he was made flesh. 
but that Jesus is uh, self-existent, has always been. Colossians 1 reminds us that that God, uh, through Jesus, has created everything and all things. He is preeminent above all things. So Jesus is not some created being that has comes into existence. But Joseph's seed and the sin of man is not present with Jesus. For Jesus being the second person of the Trinity, the reason why we even view the Trinity as a whole and we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because all three in the persons of the Trinity are vitally involved in the act of salvation. As one cites as the virgin birth is so important in that it preserves the truth that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. His physical body that he received from Mary, but his eternal holy nature was his from all eternity past. Joseph the carpenter did not pass on sinful nature to Jesus for the simple reason Joseph was not the father. Jesus had no sin nature and therefore could represent you and me as the son of God and the son of man on that cross, being our perfect mediator, being the perfect sinless sacrifice to pay for our sins, to truly rescue and redeem and ransom mankind. It's crucial that we get that point and that theological importance. Sometimes we might not think of it as very important, but it is crucial to become, as we become to understand who Jesus Christ is as he is made flesh. And so we see that God is to uh, be magnified in all of this. This is something that wells up inside of us and points us upward to rejoice. And that's what Mary begins her song with. The second point here is God is magnified. That uh, God is magnified, it is as if he is uh, zoomed in on, it's as if we look in with a closer uh, view, as we zoom in on his greatness, we, we begin to see how we can publicize that to a world, to be able to take who he is and who he's shown us to be and magnify it and blow it out and, and make it big for all to see. And that's somewhat of what we do at Christmas time, why we celebrate and put up lights, why we come to church, why we gather and sing carols, why we rejoice and do a whole Christmas program. What is the reason for all of these things? Because there is so much within us. The hope of the eternal salvation is found starting here, or you could say uh, is almost finishing here in the work of Christ as God has prepared all of human history to lead us to this moment of Christmas time. And so Mary begins, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And the whole Old Testament's been leading us into this point. Isaiah 61, 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord for my soul shall exult in God. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Psalm 35 says, my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall exult in its salvation. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul will make it boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. And this is a famous verse. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. That is very much of what I feel present here in these Christmas services. And then this phrase that in the very end of the book of Habakkuk, not a a book that maybe some of you uh, frequent. It's a tiny little book in the minor prophets, can be often hard to find in a paper Bible. But Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19, the very end, give us this beautiful statement of what we almost see in the Old Testament as we are waiting for the coming of Jesus. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines. Though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the salts. Have you ever felt like that? <laughs> so much of life is bleak in the bleak midwinter. There's nothing blooming. There's no fruit or food. It seems to be a dark, dark place. Yet, he says in verse 18, I will exult and magnify the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like the hind's feet of a deer, and he makes me walk in high places. And that's the last line of Habakkuk. And then there's this little subscript at the very end of Habakkuk. I love this. Just noticed this the other day. It says, for the choir director on the stringed instruments. It's interesting because it's like, this theology, this importance, this is what we believe and what is it we're to do? We're to sing about it. 
This is written in Habakkuk so that it would be sung. And with stringed instruments and drums and a guitar, it would be played and publicized and promoted and let people know about. And I, I always find this fascinating. It's something I've brought up in the past. But the fact is that the religion, the Christian religion in particular, as it relates to every other religion on the face of the planet, the Christian religion is the most singing of all religions. We sing way more than anyone else. Have you ever noticed that? We sing a lot. We are a singing people. The, the Christian faith, the Christian religion is a singing religion. A religion that we believe internally and we don't keep to ourselves, but we cannot help as human beings to put it to a score of music, to put it to a melody, to perform and sing it out. And then to not just watch a performance, but to sing together as one. It's a unique thing that maybe you, yes, other people sing all the time, as I mentioned, rocking around the Christmas tree, right? But what is it that they're singing about? Just general things. We sing about something that is truly believed, that lives within us, and we sing to someone who hears the words that we sing because he is alive. There's something spiritual about it. Colossians 3 reminds us of this. It's not just something that we happen to do, for Colossians 3 tells us to do it. Colossians 3 verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, right? That's what we do regularly on here. I teach, preach, we admonish one another in the wisdom of God's word, but is it end there? No, it goes on. Teaching, one, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And then what does it say? And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And it goes on. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. The song, oh come, let us adore him. For he alone is worthy, it says. Let's praise his name together. We'll give him all the glory. And then we sang this morning to open up the service, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of love. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. What incredible statements and reminders that we have today. That we sing, and we sing for a reason. And yes, some of us sing better than others, and that's okay. I think a few weeks ago they mentioned that. Just, but maybe it was Brian. I can't remember. They make a, make a joyful noise into the Lord, right? All ye lands. Doesn't always say it has to be on key, okay? But just make that joyful noise. Magnify the Lord, and we rejoice the Lord to, in the Lord today because particularly of these three things, and we're going to go through these things rather quickly, but these final three things that I want you to take away today because I want your hearts today to be pointed to God and to you to be heart, your hearts filled with praise that you just want to rejoice in God, your Savior, because of these three things. Mary is called by God, and she is blessed by God, and she sings about these three things as she magnifies God. She says that God is mindful he is mighty, and he is merciful. And those three things are beautifully interwoven into this amazing song. The first is God is mindful. God looked upon us. Look at verse 48 of Luke 1. After she sings, the spirit rejoices in God my Savior, she says, for he has looked on the humble estate of my servant. Some of your translations might even read, for he is mindful of my humble estate. The idea here is just so beautiful, that the God Almighty would be mindful of someone like you and me. Alistair Begg is very helpful on this as he gives an illustration. He talks about this word isolated and intimacy in relation to this. The concept is found in this idea that when you become very famous and powerful, I wouldn't really know, but when you become famous and powerful, right? You see famous people, you don't just walk up to a famous and powerful person and have a conversation because you're a nobody. You don't just go up to the king and queen of England and walk into Buckingham Palace and say, hey, what's up? Can I talk with the king? Okay? You don't just walk into the White House without making an appointment. Right? You don't just go up to a famous athlete, a famous music star, a celebrity, and just go right up to them and say, hey, what's up? I'm Jordan. How you doing? 
You can't get close to them. Why? Because they are great and powerful and mighty and bigger than you. And they are isolated from you. Often the bigger we get, the more isolated we become from people. We need the big house that is far away from everyone with the gate at the end, the long driveway to keep the paparazzi away, right? Maybe some of you live in that world. I don't know, right? But that idea of isolating ourselves away, yet the beauty that Mary sings about in this is the exact opposite. The greatest of great, the king of kings, the mighty of the mighty, right? God most high, it says, is also the one who draws near to us, is also called through Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, the God with us. He is intimate with his people. Mary sings about this in that idea that he, the great, you could say, the one who is holy and isolated and separated from mankind, is now been intimately a part of our lives, is now drawn near and close to you and me, to the point that now in the new covenant, you don't even have to come through a holy of holies or through a high priest to then be able to reach the presence of God. You have the Holy Spirit living within you, and even in this moment, the Spirit can speak with you and you can talk with God because Jesus is your mediator on your behalf. You can speak with God most high. He can speak to you. What, what an extraordinary idea. He is not isolated from us, but is now intimately drawn close to us. God with us. Emmanuel. In our humble estate, this humble estate of Jesus being born in a manger, being born in simplicity, almost a, lives a very ordinary life. In fact, from Jesus' early years in Luke, we know that he becomes a little young boy and he grows up and then we hear almost nothing of him until he's around 30 years old. This just going to work every day. This just ordinary human life that Jesus lived for you and for me. Born in relative obscurity. This echoes the heart of Jesus in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they are the ones who receive mercy. And those who think they are first will be last, and the last will be first. These are the statements of Jesus that we must remind ourselves today, that God is mindful of you. Maybe we don't say it enough around here, but God sees you, and God loves you. We sing the very simple song often with kids that maybe we at times think is too simple for us. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. <laughs> well, that's a little kid's song. Once I graduate to what I know, I, I don't need those things anymore. But how often is it that we, even as adults, need to be reminded that Jesus loves even me? He loves you. God is mindful of you. He is aware. To even just consider for a moment that God was aware of Mary. God is aware of you. He is mindful of you. He says that every hair on your head is numbered. Jesus tells us in Matthew 10 that aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not even one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. Don't you ever believe the lie that your life is worth nothing? I have done far too many funerals and situations where people have spoken about those kinds of things. They didn't think anyone loved them, anyone cared for them, and they didn't think that God could love them. That is a lie. Jesus loves you. He loves me, he loves you. There is no one who is too far gone and we are reminded of that in these passages that God would elevate someone like Mary to the forefront of human history and give her this position and this status of honor and respect that God cares that you are worth more, far more than any sparrows. You are made in the image of God and be loved by God most high. That he would send his son to come to earth to rescue you. It's the message of God's grace. You are of great value to him. God is mindful of you today. 
And he looks upon us today, and I believe he looks upon us even in this moment. He sees us encountering his word and reorienting our lives because we can tend to get a big head and think we're far more important than we really are. To recognize that we are not, but God does view us as blessed and loved. So we humble ourselves before that, say, who am I? And God will exalt you. And so the second point is God is mindful, yes, but he is mighty at the same time. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is bigger than you could ever imagine. The strength of God is shown in this passage. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The mercy is for those who fear him. And it says in verse 51, he has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. I think of this, I, every time I was reading this this week and I would see the word mighty and mighty and mighty, I couldn't help but think of that new Paw Patrol movie my kids watch, The Mighty Pops, okay? These little dogs, Marshall and Chase, and my son is loving the fact that I'm talking about these right now. Um, and Rubble and all of these guys become normal dogs, but yet they become mighty. They're infused with this power in their little dog tag. If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. Mighty Pops, right, Char? But they become mighty and stronger than, power, than they were before. They have incredible might. They can fly and they can move buildings and they can do all kinds of things. There's this strength. It's this story of the superhero story that's infused in all of mankind. All the superhero movies, the supermans, all of these things. We need, as a people, someone to rescue us. And it resonates with our hearts. Because we are a people in need who cannot save ourselves. We need that superhero, that mighty person to come into our lives. And who is that is? The Christian story reminds us that that mighty superhero is Jesus Christ who comes to earth. And he is mighty and he is able. It says that he has shown strength in his arm. I can remember as a kid grabbing hold to my father's arm. And as I jumped up and grabbed his arm, he could pull me up, right? Dads, you know the feeling. And then you have two kids and you can lift your children up and eventually they get too big and that's not possible anymore. But I, I've seen my kids do the very same thing. Judd will grab onto my arm and I will pull him up. With one arm, I can hold his entire being in my hands. So we, we, we feel ourselves very strong at that moment, right? And yet we imagine that in the mighty power of God. The word of God tells us that that God says that heaven is my holy habitation and the earth is my footstool. The earth is God's ottoman. <laughs> it is so small, he, he sits and he is mighty above it. It says he scatters the proud. First Peter tells us that we are to humble ourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God for at the proper time he will exalt you. For yes, as Mary says, he exalts those of humble estate. He fills the hungry with good things. And he does great things for me, he says. And then he will bring down the mighty from their thrones. Those who have placed themselves on their throne, their throne of power and supposed strength and fame and might. Those are not the ones who rule and control the world. God is in control and he says he will bring the proud he will tear down the mighty from their thrones and he will exalt the humble. This is the very nature of God. We are reminded in the person of King Herod in Acts chapter 12 as he stood out in the place, the sun shone upon his glittering garments and he was being praised as a God. And King Herod was immediately struck dead for his standing in the place of God, receiving divine worship upon himself was found that he, though in a place of authority as a man, was torn down from that place. And that's why we're reminded in songs like, Oh, Holy Night, as we sang earlier, we were reminded earlier, fall on your knees. Hear the angels' voices. And then we're reminded, not only is God mighty, is he mindful and mighty, but he is merciful. We rejoice at this hope, this beauty, that the mercy of God is for people like you and me. And his mercy, look at verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And then it says in verse 54 that he has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. The mercy is for those who fear the Lord, as we just spoke about. The great fear of God, that God in his holiness and his greatness, his power, we do not tread lightly upon God or, or treat him uh, casually. But we humble ourselves and we honor the king. And we fear the Lord. 
meaning that we are in awe of his power and majesty. We worship in response to this. We don't scoff, but we fear. But what's so beautiful about Christian fear of God is that it does not drive us away. But through Jesus and the pathway and the bridge that he has made, and through the, the Holy Spirit with us, the fear of God does not drive us away, but bids us to come near. And we draw closer, and the word says that when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. It's the beauty of God's mightiness and his power and his mercy and mindfulness. This is our God. And then it says in the word of God, in Ephesians, that there is something that God is rich in, that he has so much of it. He is wealthy and over abundantly pouring out something, and that something is in Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that at the coming ages he might show, what is he gonna show? The immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness and mercy toward us in Christ Jesus. I love the way Dane Ortland shares this. I, I posted it online a couple of times. It's actually also found, I found the quote from Dane Ortland in our Advent devotional here, I think on week one. But it says this in regards to the mercy of God. That God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy just passes by, but rather homes in which divine mercy abides. It means that the things about you that make you cringe the most make him hug the hardest. It means that his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours is. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, and magnanimous. means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means that day when we stand before him, quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. What a statement. That the very regions of shame and regret that are within our hearts are not a hotel in which mercy resides for a little bit and moves on to someone else, but a place that God's mercy and grace comes to find an abode, to make its home with us. When God says his dwelling place is with man, that is with you and with me, that God would make his dwelling holy habitation no longer just heaven set apart, but heaven and earth converge now with his people in the new heaven and the new earth, our hope for eternity with God. Wow. Rich in mercy. Mary magnifies the Lord. Mary sings of his mercy to her generation and the next generation and the next. The mercy of, the God, of God never ends. As Lamentation says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning for great is your faithfulness. And so today, we join with Mary, and we sing. <laughs> we sing that God is to be magnified among us. That as a people, we lift our voices and we rejoice. We rejoice because we have so much to sing about. We have so much to rejoice about. Perhaps though you might find yourself, yes, in a bleak midwinter, in the time of darkness, in a situation that I might not be aware of where you find yourself here today. But you know that even in that place, that lack of answer for the prayer that you've been praying for for far too long, it seems, these situations that we know that there is a light that pierces into all of that, that gives us hope beyond that, for a light has come into the world because God has been made flesh. Because God, Jesus Christ, takes that cross. He takes your sin and nails it to that cross. He forgives your debt. 
And he then goes into the grave and conquers the grave with his resurrection. And he reminds us in this Advent season that he has come, but he's also coming again. And that reminder for us is our hope that even where we find ourselves, we might find ourselves like a Mary just in obscurity, feeling like nobody seems to know about me. God does. He knows. He cares. You could talk with him. You could speak with him. You're welcome to talk with me or any of the others after the service as well to, to find out who this person of Jesus really is, how this God who is rich in mercy wants to lavish it upon you and your life even today. For we... As joyful, joyful, we adore thee, says mortals, join the mighty chorus. When the morning stars began, Father, love is reigning over us. Brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music lifts us sunward in the triumph song of life. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for these songs. Thank you, God, that you have made us a singing people. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of this opportunity in this Christmas season to worship you, to sing praises to you, to rejoice, to be thankful for the grace and the mercy of God. God, you are good to us. You've been good to this church and these people. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for coming to dwell with us and not leaving us or forsaking us. Thank you for the truth that we've heard about today. Make that come alive and real in our lives, that we would leave this place with a smile on our face, singing about how you have come, that we and mankind can live forevermore because of Christmas Day. We praise you for those words and for the truth that they represent. In Jesus' name.